millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. My name is Jake. I'm the National Guard agent. My unit and I were deployed to a remote region in Appalachian Mountains to investigate the sudden disappearance of several hikers and campers. As we arrived, we were immediately met with fearful whispers and nervous glances from the few remaining locals. They told us terrifying stories of a creature called the Crawler, which had been spotted lurking in the shadows of the dense forest. Though the stories seemed unbelievable, the fear in the eyes of those who had seen the Crawler was genuine, unsettled but determined to find the missing people. My unit and I ventured deep into the uncharted wilderness. The locals gave us map of places where disappearances happened. Our search led us to a series of underground tunnels and caves. A hidden world that seemed to stretch on forever. As we descended further into darkness, our flashlights barely cutting through the gloom, we came face to face with the horrifying reality of the crawler. It was a monstrous being, unlike anything we'd ever seen, capable of hunting and killing with terrifying ease. We spotted it while it was devouring some corpse. 
We aimed our rifles and started shooting. We knew we had to use our tactical training and survival instincts to evade the creature. The creature was fast, even killing few of our men, but in the end it fallen under the barrage of our bullets. As we approached the carcass of a cryptid, we noticed a stamp that said, United States Government. As we returned to the surface, carrying the lifeless carcass of the crawler with us, we couldn't help but wonder what other secrets lay hidden in the uncharted wilderness. Our mission had succeeded, but the truth we'd discovered left us questioning the world we thought we knew. In the end, we'd vanquished the cryptid, but the secrets of government involvement that surrounded it would continue to haunt us. I was critically injured after being attacked by a large and powerful unknown creature. The attack took place one night in an abandoned building on the outskirts of town. My close friend and colleague who was with me at the time described what he witnessed that night. I was there with him. We were searching the building for a suspect when all of a sudden something came rushing out of one of the rooms. It knocked me off my feet. When I got back up, he was being attacked by this monster. It was much stronger than anything I have seen. He was able to throw me ten feet in the air with ease. My partner pulled up his firearm, firing it several times, but it wouldn't budge an inch, like the bullets didn't even bother it. I don't know what happened after that. I blacked out for several moments. When I came to, the creature had already disappeared, and I was unconscious, badly injured and bleeding with a head injury and broken ribs. I remember seeing my partner pointing his firearm at an unknown creature. I felt my gun jam. When I looked up, the unknown being seemed to disappear in front of me. I went to check on my partner and found him not breathing. I was able to regain consciousness, but quickly collapsed again shortly thereafter. Police officers were immediately dispatched to the scene. They took both of us to a nearby hospital for treatment. We both sustained serious injuries and were unable to work for several months during the recovery period. About seven years ago, I had a remarkable encounter with two Sasquatch in the Blue Mountains of Walla Walla, Washington. It was shortly after I had relocated from Houston, Texas, and I decided to take my dad's bug for a drive. I ventured up Mill Creek Road, which led me to Squaw Springs Campgrounds. It was quite a journey, about an hour and a half, into the blues on a somewhat gravel road. If I recall correctly, it was either July or August. As dusk settled in, I turned on my headlights while navigating a bend in the road. That's when I spotted them crossing the road, two impressive creatures. One stood approximately eight feet tall, while the other was around seven feet. They locked eyes with me, and the reflection of my headlights revealed their eyes to be a striking yellow color. The sun's gentle glow highlighted their bodies, making it evident that these were not bears or elk. I brought my vehicle to a halt as they crossed, hoping to catch another glimpse as they disappeared into the woods. Unfortunately, I couldn't see anything further, nor did I detect any peculiar odors. I searched for tracks, but the ground was too hard to find any conclusive evidence. So I returned to my bug and headed home. A week or two later, while shopping at the Eastgate Mall, I stumbled upon a Bigfoot display arranged by two individuals named Paul Freeman and Wes Summerling. They had set up an exhibit featuring two stuffed Bigfoots. Intrigued, I shared with them my encounter in the blues. 
They informed me that the creatures I had seen were a male and female couple that had been spotted numerous times. Freeman, in particular, had made notable discoveries, uncovering miles of tracks and capturing video footage of Bigfoot in the area. However, over time, it became evident that Freeman had fabricated a significant portion of his evidence, which was disappointing because I believed he possessed genuine material. Nonetheless, I formed a friendship with the Summerlin family and even accompanied them on a search for Bigfoot. Wes, in particular, had a wealth of stories, hair samples, photographs, and more. He never sought to sensationalize the matter. He simply believed, and that was enough. Unfortunately, was passed away some time ago, and I don't believe any substantial research is ongoing in the area. However, a friend and I still venture into the mountains a couple of times a week, continuing our quest. I know Sasquatch is here. I've seen them with my own eyes. The number of sightings may have decreased since Freeman's departure, leading some to doubt their existence. It's an ironic situation because deep down you know Bigfoot is real, yet the evidence you stumble upon sometimes points in the opposite direction, despite your first-hand encounters. Back in 2020, one my family took a trip to Lake Sinaitle in North Carolina, a beautiful lake that's rich in Native American history and surrounded by mountain trails. We decided to go on one of these trails on an overcast day. I am not an athletic person and suffer from asthma, so I was behind the rest of my family by myself. About almost halfway through the hike, I heard my sister yell my birth name, but it sounded like it was off the trail. She never calls me by a real name, just my nickname I've had since I was a baby. It sounded like she was scared, so I was very tempted to run off and find her, but I knew my sister wasn't stupid. She wouldn't go off the trail, even in case of an emergency. I quickly caught up to the rest of my family, and my sister was there with them, resting on some rocks next to a waterfall, chatting away and taking pictures. I asked my sister if she had called my name. She didn't know what I was talking about. She had been talking to our dad the whole time. I don't know what called my name that day, but I'm glad I didn't listen to it. Who knows what would have happened to me? I haven't been to that trail since this encounter. I don't have a clue what called my name. If you're educated on Appalachian folklore, please give me some insight on what happened to me. When I was six, I got up in the middle of the night to get a glass of milk. Being that I was six, I went through the back door to the back porch to pee. Then went back inside to get my glass of milk. Our back door had those older metal-type blinds that rattled and clanked when you opened the door every time. Our back door had the door handle locked and two deadbolts. I specifically remember locking all three locks that night before getting my drink because the top lock always stuck and took some month to lock it. And I was trying to be quiet so I didn't wake my parents up. I opened the fridge and pulled the milk out, and when I closed the fridge, I noticed the back door wide open and something was in the doorway. I remember standing there for what seemed like hours, and it was probably only a few seconds before I ran to get my dad. When I woke him up, and we went to the kitchen, and the kitchen light was on. I did not turn it on, and the back door was still wide open. I didn't open it. I know I closed it. 
I did not hear the blinds rattle when it opened. I don't know what I saw, but something was there, and I know 100% that I shut and locked that door, and short of a couple hits from a sledgehammer or tornado, that door wasn't going to be blown open by the wind, especially with both deadbolts. That freaked me out pretty good. I can't explain it to this day, but it still makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. On another occasion, more recently, in high school we had a school function and were allowed to take our own vehicles. So my buddies and I took my truck and headed to the function, except we had a couple bottle of Jack with us. I proceeded to get ripped throughout the night, and when it came time to leave, my friends were not going to let me drive. Well, I somehow got my key from one of them, got in my truck, locked it, then started it, threw it in reverse, and went back enough, almost hit another car. I put it in drive and started out of the parking lot. When I stopped at the exit to look before getting on the road, I remember looking in my rearview mirror, and I was just able to make the shape of a man out. And I heard the words, don't do it. You won't make it two times, and then I saw my truck wrapped around a big tree on the side of the road that I was going to take home. I remember it clear as day and won't ever forget it. I put it in park and called my buddies over. They drove me home and made sure I got in all right. I can't explain that. Maybe it was the booze, maybe not. But I know for a fact that had I drove home that night, I know I would not have made it. To this day, I do not get behind the wheel if I think I might have had too much to drink. Every time I think about it, I think back to that incident. Guardian angel, maybe, who knows? I am not crazy, but I can't explain what I saw or what I heard on those two occasions. Ghosts, angels, spirits, I don't know, but I know I saw and heard something. There's still too much that is unexplainable in this world for me to say whether I believe in ghosts and whatnot. But until it is proven otherwise, I will always lean to the side of believing. My parents got married in 1979 and moved to Belton. They had my older sister, and shortly after that, my mom's dad died. Several months passed, and one day they went into a Chinese food place where they were close friends with the family that owned it. As they were eating, the wife of the owner came over to their table to tell my mom that her father had come in the previous day. She noted the specific table and chair he had sat at, and a vivid description of him. She said he had been asking about each one of them, including my older sister. He had been dead for five months or so. My mom was so rattled by it that she didn't even tell the lady he was dead. To this day, she doesn't really like to talk about it. Crazy stuff. When I was in elementary school, my folks decided to build a new house. The spot they chose was a spot that an old house had been standing on. My grandfather bulldozed the old house after he bought the place. Well, after my folks' house was completed, strange things started happening. I could lay awake at night and hear cabinets in the kitchen shutting and drawers rolling in and out. Never really scared me, it just became normal. Everyone in the house could hear the same thing. My great-grandmother absolutely refused to go into our house because she believed it to be haunted. Example, she told a story, and we did look it up in old newspapers to confirm it. That just across the road, a boy had been killed by shotgun accidentally going off as he crossed the fence. 
The boy's name was Bobby Reynolds. This happened in the 40s. My baby sister, not five years old at the time, had an imaginary friend. One day, my mother walks by her as she was sitting talking to a corner. Mom asks, who are you talking to? My sister's answer, my friend Bobby. No one had ever told her about me great-grandmother's story for fear it would frighten her. My mom doesn't believe in ghosts, but she does believe in angels. She believes that Bobby is my sister's guardian angel. I was working as an information technology contractor for MGM Studios during the year 2000. It was a lot of fun working there. Getting to see movie props such as the Stargate was an extra bonus. I was staying at the Georgian Hotel in Santa Monica during a major renovation. Having worked at MGM for a month, my contract was coming to an end. During my last night at the hotel, I woke up suddenly at approximately 3 a.m. via the light from the window and the night light in the room. I could see something floating in the middle of the room. It was the head of something I'd never seen and never want to see again. It was grotesque. A man's head with snakes as hair. Its skin, which looked dark green, seemed to be moving with smaller snakes. As I watched it, it moved its lips as if it was trying to talk to me, but I couldn't hear anything. I could see the back of its head in the mirror on the wall in front of me. I really don't know how I knew to say this, but I told him it wasn't welcome and he had to leave. After saying this a few more times, it just slowly faded away. I got up and turned on the lights in the room. Working for MGM, I thought maybe one of the guys I was working with was playing a joke on me. I checked the whole room for anything that could produce this head image, but I found nothing. Needless to say, I didn't go back to sleep. When the time came to check out later that morning, I was too embarrassed to say anything. Heading into work one last time, I did ask the guys if they knew anything about it. They all said no, and promised me they would never do anything so cruel. One of them did tell me that the hotel was, in fact, haunted. This incident has left me wondering just what it was I saw that night. I think it might have been a demon looking for someone to possess. I never imagined that a routine day as a Navy fighter pilot could turn into an experience that would challenge everything I thought I knew about the world. My name was Winston, and on that fateful day near Hawaii, I became a witness to something extraordinary. As the sun cast its golden rays upon the military base, I soared through the sky in my fighter jet, keeping a vigilant eye on the radar screen. It was the same old routine, scanning the airspace for any unusual activity. But little did I know that destiny had something entirely different in store for me. Suddenly, amidst the blips and pings on the radar, a strange dot caught my attention. It didn't match the usual signatures of other aircraft or any known object. Intrigued, I swiftly contacted the base to report my findings. Their response sent a chill down my spine. The voice on the other end assured me that it wasn't another plane or any military operation. They ordered me to investigate further to pursue the mysterious dot and uncover its nature. With a mix of anticipation and trepidation, I followed their directive, diverting my course towards the unknown. As I reached the coordinates indicated by the radar, my eyes scanned the surroundings 
searching for any signs of the anomaly. But to my bewilderment there was nothing there, just the vast expanse of the ocean stretching out before me. Confusion washed over me as doubts crept into my mind. Had it been a glitch in the radar system, or perhaps a trick of the light? Just as I was about to give up and return to base, a momentous sight unfolded before my eyes. From the depths of the water, a craft unlike anything I had ever seen emerged. It ascended with graceful ease, its metallic surface glinting in the sunlight. It hovered momentarily, as if acknowledging my presence, before performing a series of astonishing maneuvers, defying the laws of physics. I watched in awe as the alien UFO craft darted through the sky, executing rapid turns and breathtaking acrobatics. It was a display of technology far beyond our understanding, leaving me speechless and filled with a sense of wonder. In the blink of an eye, the craft accelerated into space, disappearing into the vastness beyond our reach. Shaken to the core by what I had witnessed, I immediately relayed the events to my base. But instead of receiving the support and validation I had hoped for, I was met with disbelief and ridicule. They dismissed my account as mere fantasy, as the wild imagination of an overexcited pilot. Frustration and disappointment engulfed me, knowing that the truth I had encountered would be buried beneath skepticism and disbelief. But deep down I held on to the conviction that my experience was real, that I had glimpsed something beyond our known world. In my early twenties, a friend and I decided to go out into the mountains of western Utah. It was very secluded. We saw one person while we drove out to the place. The nearest town was easily thirty miles away. We went out to gold pan, drink, and just generally get away. The roads were rough and looked to be rarely used. It's rocky desert mountains that is covered in juniper trees. So we find an old wash and set up camp. We look for gold until nightfall. Didn't find any, so we set up our sleeping bags in the back of my truck. So we go to sleep, and I wake up to the slightest noise. My wife says a mouse fart could wake me up. Now here's where it gets strange. I wake up and remember seeing lights. Not from the fire, not from my truck, but it flooded the area. I sat up and then my memory stops. I wake up and chalk it up to a dream and think nothing of it. I didn't dwell on it and just put it to the back of my mind. Then realized six or so months later that it wasn't a dream. I distinctly remember rolling to my back and grabbing the side of my truck to lift myself up. I remember the white light bathing the area. Now I'm not one to believe abductions or anything like it, but this has me on the fence. We were east of Area 50, one by about 150 miles. I don't remember the source of the light. I don't remember laying back down. This one is what I assumed to be a person. While camping in the mountains of southern Wyoming, we were off the main road by about half a mile. There was an open meadow to our north and thick forest to the east, west, and south. Before sundown, I went into the woods to the east of us and gathered some wood. This isn't a hugely used area as the road's rough and it's kind of a local gem that not many people know about. So it was odd to come upon some sort of structure made from felled trees. There were a ton of carvings into the aspen trees all around the structure. Now, I say structure because it wasn't a teepee or lean-to. It was almost a mix between them. 
with a fire pit dug out in the center. Altogether, not too creepy. It was actually pretty cool because at the peak of it was probably 20 feet high. The carvings were weird. They weren't letters or numbers, but symbols. Some of which I've never seen. So I take what wood I could find and throw it in the fire and get ready for bed. I wake up to a noise, small animals scurrying around the tent. I'm not too worried. I shuffle and the animal runs off. I see a light moving through the tent and figure, it's a car coming down the road. I sit there and think about it and realize it's not coming from the direction of the road, but from where the structure was. So I unzip the flap and look through the screen. There was a flashlight walking through the woods. I can see the wobble of the person walking, but the light is making it impossible to see the person. Now we are miles from town. At least 15 miles and no campground for miles. There was no tents or campers anywhere near us. I look at my watch and it's 2 a.m. So someone is walking through dense forest at 2 a.m. during a weekday. I sit back and watch as it stops. It's got to be at the structure right near it. So as I sit and watch the light, it's not moving. Not looking the felled trees up and down. Or looking around. And it's just sitting there. It sat still for five minutes and didn't move. Didn't shuffle nothing. Completely still. So I grab my mag light and turn it on in the direction of the light. As I shine it on them, the light turns off and I see someone step behind a tree. And keep it there and yell out hello. Nothing. So I wake up my wife and kids and put them in the truck and lock it. Trying to sleep in there, I couldn't. My adrenaline was rushing through my veins as I stared toward where they were. No movement, no lights, nothing. I get an uneasy feeling and keep looking for movement. Something didn't sit right with me. I can't explain it. It was just off. So I get out and pack up the tent and start the truck up. As I pull out of my campsite, the lights hit the tree line and I swear that I saw someone tuck back into the trees. It was so fast that by the time I pointed out to my wife, they were hidden already. Both times I was armed and it did help me feel somewhat safer in the second instance. A few years ago, I went on a solo camping trip for seven days in western Maryland near the Appalachian Trail. A few days into my trip, I set up camp a good day's hike from the main path, made my dinner, and settled for the night. For whatever reason, I couldn't sleep that night, despite being exhausted, so I decided to give myself a hand sandwich to relax. I was using the cover instead of a sleeping bag, so I got out of my sleeping bag, pulled my pants down, and started giving myself the business. Keep in mind, it's pitch black outside. New moon. Reason I went when I did. Halfway through my polishing job, I hear someone cough. I immediately stop and hold my breath and listen. A couple seconds pass and more coughing. It's 100% a human cough. I can't tell the direction it came from, but it was close. hundred yards or so. I call out hello and there's no response. I stood there for what felt like 15 minutes and then sat down and stayed awake the rest of the night. When morning came, I spiraled out and searched the area. No signs of any campsite or pushed around ground. Never heard or saw anything after that night and just pushed it to the back of my mind. No one will ever be able to convince me it wasn't a human cough. As far as stories go, one comes to mind from my childhood in Tennessee. 
I was told it by an older neighbor of mine who had also grown up in the area. It supposedly happened when he was young. A poor older couple were farming near the river bottoms in Tennessee. One day a group of young boys were out near their farm and decided to spook the old couple's mule. The mule jumped the fence and ran down to the river bottom while the boys chased it. The old man searched all over for his mule and finally found it down by the river. He caught it and started leading it back to the farm. On the way up the river bank, he was bitten by a cottonmouth and didn't make it home again. After some time, the wife went out looking in the fields for her husband and eventually found him dead next to the river with their mule. She swore revenge on the boys who spooked their mule and were responsible for the death of her beloved husband. She walked through the fields, through the town, and all along the river looking for those boys. She never found who it was, and from that day forth she hated all children. Years and years passed by, those boys grew up, and the woman remained looking for a group of children who killed her husband. Sometimes people with kids would find doll heads on spiked sticks near where their children liked to play. I didn't really believe this story, but a few weeks later my neighbor called me over to show me there was a doll head on a broken stick over across his yard at the edge of the wood, which led down to the river. As part of a four-member Navy SEAL team, we embarked on a top-secret mission to investigate the mysterious disappearance of an American diplomat near a remote underwater research facility located off the coast of Albania. Our objective was to uncover the truth behind this puzzling incident, but little did we know that our journey into the depths would lead us to an encounter beyond the realm of human comprehension. Descending into the murky abyss, we approached the wreckage of a small submarine, its remains scattered due to an implosion. Carefully scouring the underwater surroundings, our eyes fixated on a significant discovery a watch that bore an uncanny resemblance to that of the missing diplomat. A sinking feeling gripped our hearts as we deduced his fate. He had perished in the depths of the sea. Resurfacing to report our findings to high command, we anxiously awaited the arrival of a chopper that would transport us back to safety. Positioned near a dense woodland area, a foreboding sense of unease began to settle upon us. It was as if the air itself held a whisper of impending danger. Suddenly, from the depths of the sky, a creature emerged, tearing through the fabric of our reality. My gaze fixated upon its grotesque form, attempting to process the nightmare that stood before us. Its head, round and human-sized, lacked a beak and instead sported enormous bat-like wings that extended from its sides. The body stretched approximately five to six feet in length while its massive wingspan measured a daunting twenty-five to thirty feet. Jet, black and devoid of feathers, its skin resembled that of a bat, adding to the terror that emanated from its very being. A long, slender tail, reminiscent of a dragon, protruded from its form, sticking straight out. Contrary to the graceful flight of a bird, this abomination glided ominously just ten feet above the ground, moving at a plodding pace. After covering a distance of fifty to seventy-five feet, it suddenly unleashed a mighty flap of its wings, never altering its elevation, and soared directly toward our team. In an instant of sheer horror, it impaled one of the seals, piercing through his body with ruthless precision. The remaining members of our team unleashed a hail of gunfire in a desperate attempt to ward off the abomination. 
Its piercing screech filled the air as it retreated, vanishing into the darkness from whence it came. Left standing in shock, we exchanged glances, silently acknowledging the unspoken truth. No one would believe the horrors we had just witnessed. We understood the necessity of preserving our sanity and protecting our credibility. With heavy hearts and a shared understanding, we made a solemn pact to keep our mouths shut about the strange creature. We made up a fake story of how our fellow seal died attacked by Stingray. Our commander believed us. I was working down at South Pole Station in Antarctica, drilling and processing ice cores. One day when we had off, probably a Sunday, we went over to visit the small tent area operated by a private company. This is the group that you can pay thousands of dollars to if you want to go to South Pole as a tourist. At any rate, I'm over there talking with their camp manager with a few of my fellow researchers. It was particularly low visibility that day, and the wind was howling. We stepped back outside the main tent to head back to the main South Pole station, about one half mile away, when we noticed a faint figure coming out of the snow. We watched as at it got clearer and realized eventually that it was a man skiing, dragging equipment. He came up to us and introduced himself as Henry Worsley. He told us he was skiing across all of Antarctica and just happened to be the day he arrived at a pole. He wasn't allowed to accept any aid, so simply chatted with us and moved on. It was all so eerie. We found out a few weeks later that Henry died before completing his journey. I realized even later that that pictures I took of him may very well be the last of him alive, and it really made the whole experience even more unsettling. Well, I was living in 2005. My bedroom was in my basement, and I uh, had a mirror, which I'll mention was in the room at my old house when my step-grandpa died. I had a ton of strange things happen in that house. I was lying in bed, sleeping, when I suddenly woke up and felt wide awake instantly. I looked at the clock and saw it was 3 a.m. I rolled over to face my room and pulled open the curtains around my bed. In the corner, even though it was really dark, I saw several round-headed black shadows flickering in and out of my mirror. One of them was just standing there. It was like the others, except it had a brimmed hat, like a fedora or something. As I was pretty accepting of the paranormal even then, I asked them what they were doing and if they needed anything. They all stopped and turned around, staring at me with huge, round, glowing eye. The one with the hat had red eyes. They just stood there for so long, I was pretty unnerved. Too scared to leave my bed, I closed the curtains again, rolled over and lay there until I fell back asleep about forty minutes later. Before that, in about 1994, I saw my first UFO. After that, the next day, I was home alone doing my homework when there was a loud, forceful knock at the door. It was the only time our door knocker was ever used, I think. It had to be that because it was so loud. I also thought it odd because we did have a doorbell. I felt incredibly uneasy as I approached the door and looked through the movable peephole. It was facing forward and slightly up. It was a beautiful, bright, sunny day, which made what was at my door seem that much more crazy. It was the shadow, or silhouette, of a man in a hat. I frantically kept my gaze on the unmoving, pure pitch-black silhouette for about three minutes, 
when the knock came again without this thing moving even harder and louder than before. I silently retreated to my parents' room where I hid until my dad got home. I hadn't told anyone but my diary about my seeing the UFO. I'd never heard of the hat man back then. I figured it was my B. Now I wonder if they're not the exact same thing. One time in middle school, my buddies and I stayed the night in a tent on some land behind my house. After a couple of hours, we noticed the sound of a metal chain rattling very faintly. I live on a farm, so we assumed it was just an animal messing with a gate or something. About fifteen minutes later, my buddy stepped outside to take a leak, and he stopped dead in his tracks with a look of horror on his face. We rushed out to see what he was looking at. It was a medium-sized, mangy German shepherd and a large, dirty Great Pyrenees. They both had collars on with broken chains about three feet long that drug along the ground. We shined a flashlight on the dog's faces, and it revealed that the dirt on the Great Pyrenees' hair was all blood. It was down its jaw and front of its chest. We took off and ran about one hundred. One hundred... Fifty yards back to my house to tell my dad. The dogs didn't follow us or bark or anything. They just sat there and watched. My dad got a shotgun and went out looking for them, but came back forty-five minutes later and said that he had found nothing. At this point, he didn't even believe us and told us to just sleep in the house the rest of the night and shut up. The next morning, my dad gets a call from our neighbor up the road to tell him that his border collie was killed the night before. It had bite marks all along its throat and torso and was practically tore apart. That's when my dad believed us. We never saw those two dogs again.